One. Grace and peace. Are we with? Oh, there we go. There we are. Grace and peace, everyone. Good to see everybody tonight. Looking forward to our time of Bible study together. Uh, I bring you regrets uh, from Pastor Kurt, our uh, our good friend. He can't catch a break. Um, he went to uh, Houston uh, Monday, Tuesday for his post-op appointment, and uh, the flight home was really rough, and that really did a number on his neck. And then he uh, woke up this morning uh, with food poisoning. <laughs> and so um, that was doing a number on him in both directions. And he, poor guy ended up in the ER uh, this morning to have to have fluids. And so uh, he is home on Zofran uh, trying to get this to pass. And so um, he's going to go ahead and take the rest of the week off as well. And so... Uh, for those of y'all who go to the modern service, uh, Ty, our uh, our youth director, is going to be preaching this Sunday, and y'all won't want to miss that. And so uh, thankful that we uh, have people on staff that can fill in in time of need, and uh, we're just very grateful for that. So y'all keep Pastor Kurt in your prayers. Uh, uh, he would really, he'll, he'll really appreciate it. Sadly, today, it's like, this is like, you know, it's May the 4th. That's like Kurt's day, right? And so I'm sure you saw, have seen all the, all the May, May the 4th be with you uh, Star Wars memes today if you've been on social media. But I think this is the absolute best one that I've ever seen. Let's, can you throw it up on the, on the screen, Nate? May the 4th be with you. You get it? Yes. It's uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the one that looks like the Son of Man. Now that'll preach. May the 4th be with you. Thanks be to God. Well, we are in Colossians 3, of course, and uh, we uh, had a great, a great study last week, and we'll pick up there. Uh, and I just thought as we're uh, navigating through the rest of chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, that Psalm 1 would just be a good place for us to center our hearts and our minds um, and ask the Lord to come and speak to us today through his word. So let's pray together, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you will remember back to last week as we were uh, going through uh, Colossians 3, the front end of that, um, Paul, that was, this was a big transition, if you will remember. Paul's really good about that. He does it in Romans, he does it in Ephesians, and he does it in Colossians at the minimum. He builds this big case 
uh, at the first part of these books about what God in Christ has done for us. And it's in this movement in the second half of the books. Well, in Romans, it's not really the second half. The last quarter of the book there in Romans. In Ephesians, about the second half. So what? Now what? It's like the grace of God is a gift. Right? That's, in essence, what the word grace means. That this gift that is given to us is this gift of uh, forgiveness that restores us to the presence of God. And the presence of God has the power to then transform us into new people. The people that we were originally intended to be. So that is kind of the purpose. So grace is not this thing that we simply receive. And we receive it. It's free. But the grace of God always comes with action. Always moves us to this place of action. And so if you'll remember those cards that I passed out last week, that great Dallas Willard quote, grace is not opposed to effort. It's only opposed to earning. We cannot earn this gift, but this gift invariably leads us to action and to transformation. And that uh, effort that uh, Dallas Willard is talking about, it is, it is made clear, it's manifest in this chapter of uh, Colossians chapter 3. And so, remember, uh, we kind of talked about that question last week, what makes you feel good about you being you? It's an important question to always wrestle with. And when someone asks you, who are you? Or where are you? You've got the answer, don't you? My life is hidden with Christ in God. That is who we are. And if that is who we are, that is our location to Christ in God, invariably that is going to have an impact on us. There is going to be this good, positive pressure from God to change. But the distractions from the world are still present that we have to resist. So that's why he begins the chapter, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated. Right? So where our minds are located. So when you answer that question, my life is hidden with Christ in God. That is locating ourselves where we really are. And so here's the effort that we are going to be invited into. Any questions before we jump in? All right, verse 5, Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So if our hearts and our minds are focused on things above, invariably there are things that we, there's ways in which we related to the world that are just going to need to go by the wayside. That we're going to have to learn to, to abandon uh, I saw that this heard this great quote today. Um, says, "When you know who you are in Christ, then sin becomes something that does not fit who you are." Whoa, 
That is good. So like, whenever it's like hard for us to resist the temptation to fall into a certain type of sin, that results from not knowing who we really are. And not acknowledging that our life is hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, verse 5, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Yay, good stuff here. Sexual immorality. What else do you have there? No, the first, the first, the first in the list. Probably some of you have fornication. Anybody have fornication? Nobody has fornication. All right, it's the word porneo uh, is the Greek word. And you can hear where we get our word pornography from. Um, so porneo is a long list of uh, deviations from uh, positive, whole, God-given sexual practice. Um, and you can just start lining up the list of what those things uh, could be. Remember, Paul is talking to two different groups of people. He's talking to, gen- to Jewish people who have become followers of Jesus. And he is talking to Gentiles who have become followers of Jesus. The Gentiles, uh, especially, being sexually promiscuous, particularly for men, was a normal part of life. It was like an economic... It, 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 it was like... You had to engage in a sexual immorality or porneia in order to make a living. And I'm, I'm, I'm being serious about that. Because say, say uh, that you had a job as a, uh, this is my, oh, my go-to one. You had a job in uh, Colossae as a blacksmith. Y'all have heard this before, maybe if you've been in our Bible studies. Well, if you had a job as a blacksmith, you can't just have a job as is a blacksmith without being a part of the blacksmith guild. And to be a member in good standing of the blacksmith guild, you had to go down to the, to the temple in the city and you had to make sacrifices to the city's gods. That was part of your duty. And, oh, to be in proper relationship with the gods of the, of the city, you had to have sexual relations with temple prostitutes. And everybody shakes their head. Sounds like a man made that up, right? Right? Uh, anyway, but, oh my gosh. You have this encounter with the risen Christ. And you begin to learn that this body that we have been given has a purpose. And that to engage in uh, uh, regular acts of various types of sexual immorality does not, uh, is not what our body was made for. And you are told that this is not good for you, it's not good for your spouse, and that you must 
put it to death. What does that mean? Well, then all of a sudden, you can't go worship the gods. All of a sudden, you can't be a member in good standing of your guild. All of a sudden, you can't feed your family. And we think it's hard to be a Christian in our culture. Brothers and sisters, please. Right? One of the things I want you to notice about uh, these lists of things, um, they are not things in here. They are sins of the body. And our body, remember our, our discussion from at the beginning of the book, our bodies matter. Jesus came how? The body, right? Body, right? Uh, to redeem those, those, you know, to redeem us who have bodies. And our bodies are good. They are given by God. And so God is going to be at work to redeem those ways in which we use our bodies and we make them become idols. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Impurity is uh, the next um, item on the list. Uh, it carries with it a, a sexual connotation uh, as well, uh, as does lust. So it seems like there's these, these groups of three here. Remember I asked you last week, does the idolatry at the end of chapter 5 refer just to greed, or does it refer to all of them? And my conclusion is the Greek actually... When you read the Greek, it's actually just the, uh, the greed that it refers to. But my assumption would be that it can't also refer to all of them as well. And, the, and we can make anything into an idol, right? And uh, I want to just give you kind of just a good, solid, just a couple of good, solid definitions of, of what an idol is. This is my definition. An idol or idolatry is something by which you derive your value, meaning, significance, and security from other than God. So an idol is a replacement. Okay? An idol, this is, this is another definition, is something that we are holding on to in God's place. Where God rightly stands, we insert something else in that place. All right. I think that the effect of an idol is both like it attempts to fill up something that is that is missing inside of us, like kind of a more spiritual thing, but also a, it can also ha have a physical uh, manifestation as well. So it kind of, idol, idols kind of, they try to attach themselves to us, to our whole being, our whole person, which is exactly what God tries to do as well. So it's like this, this fight. Uh, so those first one, those first three, all have to do with our sexuality uh, to some degree or another. And um, 
then the second, the second three, I think, have to do with what we can actually hold on to. Um, evil desires, greed. Uh, I think you may have where, where it's greed there. Uh, you have, anybody have covetousness, coveting? That could be an alternate translation of there, uh, translation right there of greed. And remember, that takes us, of course, back to the commandments, the Ten Commandments. It, it comes to a climax in do not covet anything, right? And that's a, a restatement in some ways of don't have idols. Um, those things cannot fill us up. If we try to put them in place of God, we will be greatly disappointed. All right. Thoughts before we move on. So I think it's important to ponder uh, why we are tempted in these arenas. To put these, uh, these realities that, that, that fight for our attention, why we are tempted to make them idols in our life. Boy, instant gratification. Like being able to feel good and feel happy immediately is like the North American value. We feel like that is our right. And it is not a value of the kingdom of God. Now, does God want us to be happy? Of course. Blessed, blessed, blessed. You know, that's how Psalm 1 starts. That word is Asher, right, Nate? Yep, Nate named his son Asher. That's the Hebrew word for happy or blessed. And, um, yeah, there, there's this deep desire on God's part for us to be happy, but it's on God's terms. Uh, not because that's, oh, God wants us to work for it. And, and No, it's because that's the way we were made to live. To go outside of God's bounds to pursue those things is idolatry. And verse 6, because of these are disordered sexual desires and impulses and ways in which we uh, seek to uh, find pleasure. If, if you think about this, the, this is that we commodify people for our own ends. That people become a commodity for our own happiness. Or what people, what we can get out, what we can extract out of people, the greed part or the covetousness part. What we can, so people then become a means to fulfill our happiness. It's a big problem. Because the grand story of Scripture is that you and I were primarily made, this is going back to the garden, primarily made to reflect God's image, his goodness back into the world through serving and protecting life. That's Genesis 2.15. Serve and protect. Y'all probably remember the sermon series, right? Serve and protect. Yeah. People are not commodities. 
They're people made in God's image that we are called to serve and protect. Verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And the wrath of God, take every opportunity that I can to remind you of this. That when we talk about the wrath of God, the wrath of God is not punitive. It's not, you screwed up, so now this is going to happen to you. That's not how God's wrath works. God's wrath works like this. Okay. So you want to try and allow these other things to fill up the hole in your heart and the holes in your lives. It's not going to work. But more power to you. And that will create this environment in which you cannot experience wholeness. And that you feel this, this, this emptiness and this pain. That is the wrath of God. The book of Revelation, God pours out the bowls of his wrath into the earth, right? And in the earth in Revelation is the people who are in rebellion against God. That's the earth in Revelation. And whenever he pours it out, you'll know the line? says it twice. And they still did not repent of their evil. The purpose of God's wrath is to lead us to repentance. So, think of it this way. The wrath of God is an expression of the love of God. What do you think? Yes or no? Hopefully not just because I said so, right? Okay. Hold on. Up here. Yes, that, yeah, she was just saying, you know, that she's quoting the book of Hebrews that, that, uh, that God disciplines those that he loves. So it is certainly an expression of his love. Very good. Okay. Are we ready to move? Okay. We getting inspired yet? Come on. All right, verse 7. You used to walk in these ways. In the life you once lived. But now. Okay, so notice how all of these things, they have their their manifestation in the body. And how now he kind of gets like up close and personal with their mouth. But now you used to walk in these ways, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger. Rage. Malice. Slander. And filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image. Here that word is the image of its creator. All right, let's unpack these. For Paul. Anger is something he talks about a great deal. Talks about it in Romans, talks about it in Ephesians, 
Ephesians is that classic passage um, that is just so, so important. Uh, whenever he says in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, in your anger, do not sin. So he's not invalidating the emotion of anger. But what he's saying is, is look out, or it could lead to rebelling against God. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Like in your relationships, your, with your spouse, with friends, with family members, this is like so important. With church members, my gosh. How many a church member have been, been divided and they let their anger carry over to the next day? They didn't pick up the phone or whatever and call and say, we got to talk this out. we got to figure it out, right? You ever pondered why Paul would make such a big deal about anger? Well, if you know anything about Paul's story... Um, and you're going to get some of that on Sunday. Uh, we're going to be talking about how Paul um, thought very clearly that he was in the river, but he was not, and that his anger was driving him to a point of blindness where he could not see what he was doing. He could not get on board with what God was doing because he was blinded by his own anger to the point of casting votes to kill Christians. That is anger. There is, uh, in Vespers tonight, uh, there was a passage that was read from Acts chapter 9. Basically tells Paul's story of conversion and uh as as you're going through the passage uh god god also speaks to uh, a christian whose name is ananias and he basically invite he basically tells ananias ananias there's this guy his name is saul of tarsus um he is at this certain location and basically i want you to go tell to help him make sense of his experience that's that's using my words and Ananias is like, man, <laughs> you don't know what you're asking me to do here, right? You, I've heard many stories, Ananias said, about, how, about who this guy is. And just the work that, Ananias, that God did in Ananias' heart, it just was, it's so moving. As Ananias was struggling to do this, that he goes to where Paul is. Paul is laid out. He's blind. He hasn't eaten in three days. And Ananias, I, can, I would imagine, is scared to death. And he puts his hands on him and he says, Brother Saul. Is that not the most tender, most beautiful thing that somebody could do for another? That somebody that had been, been paralyzed by their anger and another is scared to death of him, calls him for who he is because of what God is, do God is doing in his life. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think that's why Paul, uh, he knows from experience the deadly nature of anger.
So what makes you mad? Well, I'll confess to you. I, uh, we've got this dog. And uh, this dog, you know, I, of course I didn't want him. And I'm just like, why do we do this? And anyway, puppy, uh, about eight months old now. And, you know, we're trying to make sure he, she stays out of everything and, and all that. But this morning, she tried to leave our bedroom whenever we were getting ready. And so I just uh, I, I made her stay in the, in the bedroom. And then I went into the bathroom to get ready. And whenever I came out of the door, she had gotten my pillow. Y'all don't understand. I love this pillow. <laughs> this pillow is like nine years old, and I love this pillow. I mean, Elaine has been trying to has been begging me to get rid of it because it's one of those gel top pillows, and it was starting to leak out. I'm like, it's okay, honey. I, it's it's, it's going to be fine. And 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 well, it's gone now. Uh, I tell you what, but I just but it just it's like. My pellet grill. I love my pellet grill. She has destroyed two power cables for my pellet grill. I mean, it just goes on. I mean, on and on and on. All this stuff. And, we're, and Elena's trying. I mean, I give, I give her a lot of credit. She is trying to train this dog and do it right. But it seems like nothing is working. Right? I just get so, so angry. And I just want to get rid of the dog so bad. Like, so bad. I, that's what I want. But I know... That's not what's best for the kids. It's not, is it? Or is it best? I don't know. Anyway, you see what I mean? But that's just a small thing, right? But just think about, like, even in the church and even in our culture, you know, this whole thing with the Supreme Court. It's just so interesting with the, with the, with the uh, document leaking. And just, it's, it's almost laughable uh, how... Each side is quick to assume the other side is the problem, right? And everybody's blaming everybody else. No, a Democrat clerk leaked that. No, a Republican clerk leaked that. And they both give reasons why. It's just like all this anger. And I wonder if, as people are dealing with anger, could it be that we need to put people in our lives that can just come up to us and say, Brother Steve. Sister Shirley. You know, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And to see what you're dealing with always through those lenses of the resurrected Jesus. That's what Paul is saying to put to death. Anger and rage. I think anger, that the rage here he's talking about are outward manifestations of what we're feeling inside and how that, that anger is affecting our relationships. It's kind of struck me today about the third word. What do y'all have there? I have malice. Anybody have anything else? I, I was looking up the, uh, the meaning of that word and I think I finally figured out maybe what the opposite of love is. We always say, well, love, hate. The opposite of love is hate. Eh, that probably doesn't work very good. Well, the opposite of love is indifference. Ah, that feels well. I think the opposite of love is actually this word for malice. Uh, uh, to have malice towards another one is that you are willing their harm. 
So if love is to will the good of another, malice is to will and to act and to arrange your life for the bad of another. And most of the time we do that uh, because that other person has hurt us, has devalued us, and so we go after them. But you see, our life is hidden with Christ in God, so that is our supreme value. And we can be freed from malice because because of this reality, right? Um. We slander people to, of course, devalue them, to devalue their place. There was probably much slandering going on between Jew and Gentile Christians uh, as they tried to navigate that new new reality. And I think uh, the filthy language from your lips, um, I don't think that's just your normal everyday cussing, but it is like language directed at others to dehumanize them. I think that's what he means. But notice that as, he, as he's talking about all these things that come out of your mouth, like your, out of your body and then out of your mouth, he gets to verse 9. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Like you, can you remember the last lie you told? Hopefully you can't. Uh, but if you can, just want you to like sit with that for a second. Remember as we talked about, as we talked, that the act of sin, the actual speaking of the lie, started way back here with a, an abandonment of this. That when we don't see ourselves as our life hidden with Christ in God, then we feel that we have to create our own security. And then when we feel like we have to create our own security, when our security is threatened by one of our choices that we have to not be truthful about, that is where the problem starts, is back here, not with the actual act of telling the lie, right? Lying, and we see it. Our culture is eroding because we cannot get to the truth. Because people are becoming truth, the truth in and of themselves. Like we talked about at the end of our time last week, Felipe asked such a great question. You know, we are abandoning this grand story of uh, God's work in our lives and in the world. It's being abandoned. In place of that abandoned large story is the story of the individual. That the story of the individual is the most important thing. And so when, when the lives of others are impinging on my story... There's a fight. And one of the greatest tools of that fight is the, the tool of dishonesty and of not telling the truth and not being able to just tell me what the truth is. Right? That's all we want. We just want to know the truth. And so you cannot have healthy relationships without being committed to the truth. And remember, when you lie, 
That is the fundamental tool, the fundamental weapon that Satan uses to wage war against us. That's from the garden all the way forward. So just kind of sit with that. Relative to the last lie you told. And maybe replay what led to the lie. And maybe ask God, God, how, how can I be better secure here? What's keeping me from seeing my life primarily through the lenses of my life is hidden with Christ in God? So I think, well, I'm certain. I'm certain that the early church, as they were suspicious of one another because of their deep cultural differences, Jew, Gentile, that somehow, as time went on, they were able to learn to trust each other because they told the truth. You know that, don't you? That's the only way that trust is grown is when we tell the truth again and again and again and again and again over a period of time. That is how trust has grown. So much so to the point that the world was transformed by the gospel. And could it be that the downward spiral that we are in the middle of right now as a nation could be reversed? When followers of Jesus are utterly committed to telling the truth to each other. Because that's where people want to be. People want to be where they can go and trust the people they are with. So verse 10, it's so important. So notice the action. All the action that's taken place. This is what grace calls us to. There is this identifying and putting off of these old habits. And just like, just like anybody who has been through recovery, right? One of the things that people in recovery, whether it's uh, sex addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, whatever it may be, uh, one of the, the realities of recovery is you just can't stop doing that, deadly, that, that, that harmful thing doesn't work like that there has to be something done to fill in the gap to reorient you on that which gives life because see addiction you're just taking life you're just sucking life so what to what gives life and that's exactly what's going on here uh, with paul and so here in verse 10 and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of in the image of its creator. Remember, knowledge is such an important part of the book of Colossians. That what we think about God, what we think about ourselves, our life hidden with Christ in God, what we think about ourselves, and growing in that trust of it, is what will free us to walk this wide path that God has placed out before us. Um being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. You know why we don't lie? 
because God doesn't lie. And if God does not lie, God is totally trustworthy. And so when we always tell the truth, right, Richard? When you always tell the truth, that does something between you and me. It tells me that I can trust Richard. And then, oh, Richard follows Jesus? Hmm, maybe what else that, that, what else that tells me is that I can trust Jesus. Because... In the image of his creator, remember that, that Jesus is the, the image of God, the exact representation of his being. So us too, when we carry around in our bodies the image of Jesus and we are trustworthy, that our bodies, brothers and sisters, our bodies communicate to other people that God is trustworthy too. Questions, thoughts, objections. Right, verse 11. Here. I think what Paul means by here is here in the church. Here among followers of Jesus, here in the body of Christ, here in the family of God, there is no Gentile or Jew. That distinction is gone. Both groups thought the other group was trash. Really? And no. Circumcised or uncircumcised, that's another way to say the same thing. The the next coupling, uh, barbarian and Scythian, uh, one would think that the Scythian was some sort of dignified group of people. It's actually the exact opposite. So there's barbarians, and then there's barbarians. And that's who the Scythians uh, were. They were like the worst of the worst that humanity uh, had to offer in that that part part of the world. And no, no. But Christ, or then he goes to slave and free. Remember about two-thirds of the world, uh, the the Roman world at that time, two-thirds were slaves. Wow. And here, that distinction is gone. Remember, uh, Colossians was probably mailed, uh, you know, taken by hand to, uh, to Colossae. Uh, probably at the same time as the letter of Philemon. And Philemon was a slave-owning Christian whose one of his slaves, Omnitius, had run away. And there's this connection between these two letters. And in that letter, you know what Paul says to do? Please, for my sake, set him free. Right? So this is like a radical disruption of the status quo to talk about that slave and free people, uh, 
have the same standing in the kingdom of God. But Christ is all and is in all. Allie. On the slavery topic, um, Paul had been enslaved, right? No. Uh, he had been in prison, uh, but he, as far as oh, I know, okay. he was never a slave. Okay. So my question, I guess, is were there, were there many people who had been both, or was it like a caste kind of system where if you're yeah. a slave, you've always been a slave, your parents, your grandparents were slaves? Yeah. Is that speaking to like two different classes of people like Jews and Gentiles, right. slaves and non-slaves? Yeah. I, Pastor Kurt would probably be better equipped to answer this than me, but certainly there were people that were able to buy their free, to, to, to find their way out uh, of slavery. Uh, it was few and far between, but there was a, a, a limited capacity to get out of that, to use your word, cast, for sure. What else? Just write in your uh, write in your margin by that passage, Galatians three twenty eight, and we could flip over there really quick. So Paul tries to, Paul does write with some consistency um, across his letters, and, and let me just read uh, chapter three, Galatians verse twenty eight. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. So he's already covered both of those in, in Colossian, Colossi. Uh, nor there is a male or male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So he has three categories there. One of those categories is not in Colossi, right? And it's the male and female category. So he adds that one there. Because, of course, talk about a cast. That was certainly like a... Like, especially in the Jewish world, of course. I mean, there, were, there were Gentile women, uh, like we know uh, Lydia, who, who had her own business and, and thrived and was very, very successful. But remember, a common prayer uh, during Jesus' day, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who did not make me a woman. That was their prayer. And, and Jesus is like, uh, whenever he's having these conversations about male and female, uh, it's just like this. You can just see Jesus rolling his eyes at the, at the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And he says, uh, don't you know how it was at the beginning? And the beginning is, is like male and female together they image, they, they, together, they're made in the image of God. It's like if you, don't have, uh, if you don't have females in the world, there's no way that you can know anywhere near the fullness of God. Right? There was a skewed view, certainly, of womanhood from a Jewish perspective uh, during the day of Jesus. And Paul... He gets nailed so much for his treatment of women. And it's a misreading of Paul. 
nobody would say this. No Jewish person would say this, that there is neither male or female, for we are all one in Christ. Nobody would say that. But like Paul is like blazing new trails, uh, not holding women back. And so this is the motivation Paul is saying. This should be what motivates us, is that when we look out on the landscape of the people that are coming to faith, the temptation because of our past, our past dealings with them, and our past perspectives uh, that we have towards people that are different from us, it could lead you to to treat them in a way that is not life-giving. Whoa! That person, just like you, their life is hidden with Christ in God. And because of our oneness in Christ, we should tell the truth to them. We should live our lives in a way that honors God as opposed to uh, trying to play God uh, on our own terms. All right. So there's all the stuff that he is inviting us to locate in our own life we can't take something off or we can't put it to death we can't lay it aside until we take the time to say yep that's going on here in my life so much of following jesus is becoming aware becoming aware of actually how we are interacting with others in the world, how we are allowing this, this truth to bear down on our souls and to, to be aware of how we're not trusting that ultimate truth about who we are. Right? Like, like one, of the, one of the things I challenge you to constantly form like make a habit is that when you go into places uh, normally people go into places to get in and to get out because they got many things to do are we all guilty of this kind of doing that whether it's the grocery store the gas station or uh, restaurants or whatever just a very important thing I think for followers of Jesus to do is to slow down and to practice Paying attention. What is going on around you? And is there a way, an avenue that is being made available for you to say, hey, how can I help? Right? Simple question. How can I help? And we really... We really can't form that habit until we're willing to locate the things in our lives that cause us to say, I don't have time for that. Our anger, our lies, our, our disordered sexual desires that says that life is about making sure I am fulfilled we can't be the hands and feet of Christ until we're willing to pay attention. 
pay attention to what's going on in here. So then we are free to pay attention to what's going on here. And that's what he's going to then turn to. Until we are willing to take off certain things, we will not be willing to put on what we were made to put on in the first place. And remember, this whole clothed language, I don't think it's just like a, a metaphor surrounding clothes. Um, I mean, it's be, like you got a big shirt that says sexual immorality. Well, I'm going to take that shirt off and I'm going to put an, another shirt on that says compassion. Well, that's kind of it, but not really. Think what Paul is saying is think about the garden. And remember, there was clothes involved in the garden. There were two sets of clothes in the garden, fig leaves and skins, right? Fig leaves were Adam and Eve's attempt to cover their guilt, shame, and fear on their own terms. Think about the ways in which anger and uh, sexual immorality and the, the other things that we've talked about are an attempt to cover our own brokenness. And so it's like taking off the fig leaves and allowing God to clothe you with something much, much better. And that's what we'll talk about next week. All right. Any more questions for the good of the group? Hold on, hold on. Steve, I grew up Catholic and, and whenever yeah, get, I... Get real close. Oh, there, there you go. Yes, yeah, I grew up Catholic and uh, the way I view a priest, it, it kind of represents the values that Paul is speaking in that with, with all those. So it, it's almost this um, uh, sets of uh, rules and regulations that unless you... Uh, forgo your own desires and uh, uh, like I don't know like as a kid uh, being a priest was not like I think out of the question like what was that being a priest was not something out of the question but it was a calling that if you were to take I mean it's it's not it was uh, so whenever whenever I I view uh, my local Catholic priest I mean he was from Spain and had moved over and he had this, uh, he had taken this vote of poverty, and, and it was just a remarkable uh, person to talk to and just to kind of, but is this kind of, where, where is that kept from? Is that like, are they not uh, allowed to have children because of some of this uh, kind of rules? Are they not what? Allowed to have children and that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, like, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I, I can imagine like having kids uh, being. Uh, not having anger is kind of like out of the question, right? Uh, or well, for me it is, brother. Right? Yeah, I'm with you. But I mean, but also, I mean, growing up, uh, there was plenty of uh, Catholic schools, and the priests there. I mean, if you're gonna have priests run school, I mean, this is kind of also another uh, uh, trap. To yeah. Not, I mean, how do you run a school and not be anger and like? <laughs> Uh, all those, all those sort yeah. of things that, I mean, they seem natural, but uh, right. it's kind of like the bar is really high, right? Well, and so I think um, 
like in this broken world that we live in, there are going to be things. And I, and I think Paul says it better, a little bit cl- more clearly in Ephesians chapter 4, whenever uh, he says, in your anger, do not sin. So being angry is not a sinful thing. It is in expressing your anger. Cause so so what, I'll, what I'll do with my kids, whenever I get angry with my kids, most of the time it's angry because I want them to get to bed so that I can rest. Anybody else with me? I mean, the day is coming to an end, and it's like, I mean, my gosh, kids get the most hungry and thirsty before bedtime than any other time of their day, right? And it's just like, I'm done, I'm tired, and I'm ready to move move on. And that I, get, I start to, that anger just starts welling up in me. And so for that anger that leads to sin, it is to start to yell at them. It's to start to belittle them. It's start to accuse them of, of sucking every ounce of energy out of my life. You know, that kind of thing. That's when the anger leads to sin. It's not the feeling of anger. But one of the things that I try to work on is when I start to feel angry. I'm not the only one that just kind of has a physical reaction when you start to feel angry, am I? I mean, it starts to kind of rise up. Like when I get really mad, it goes, starts to rise up all the way from my shins. And it starts to come all the way up. It's like, okay, wait a second. I have the opportunity now to lash out in my anger or to allow my anger to point me to this. And if my life is hidden with Christ in God, that will give me the power, supposedly, right? Give me the power to say, all right. Haven't you already had two applesauces? And haven't you already had a gallon of, a gallon of water? You know, just in the last, you know, that, that kind of thing. And it's to, what I think, to stay engaged in the relationship. Anger that leads to sin is anger that disengages, which leads to rage, which leads to malice. It keeps going down the list, right? And so, yeah, it seems like it's a high bar. Because in our culture, nobody else is doing it. But that's how we're made to live. We're made to live free from the power of anger. And so it's worth doing the work. And remember, it's, this is what grace calls us to do. God's grace is available to us to free us from anger. What am I holding on to that, is, that I assume if I could just get to the couch five minutes earlier, then it's going to be good. Right? No. That's, that's not what's going to be good. What's going to be good is here, and God, give me the patience to stay engaged. Felipe, I live in that space every night. Right? And it's very hard, as you know. I don't know if that helps or not, but any clarifying question? Okay. Anything else? Think. One of the things that I think people fall into the trap of is when we read Paul or when we read Jesus, we say, there's no way I can live my life like that. 
There's no way I can live my life free from lying. I just want to challenge where it's lying or when Jesus says to love your, there's no way I can love my enemy or whatever else that Jesus says that, is, that, that seems crazy, that seems extreme, that seems radical. I just want you to, to know that to say there's no way I can do that is to really have a negative picture of God that what God is asking me to do, there's no way I can do so God can just point his finger and say, look how unholy you are. What it actually tells us is that when God says to love your enemies, or Paul says to do not lie, what do you say? Oh, I see something in you. I see that I have placed in you my very image. And because of that, you actually have the capacity to be like me. And when we catch that vision, brothers and sisters... This world's going to start turning around. Let's pray. So, Lord, it is our hope that as we seek to live our lives faithfully in you, with our life hidden with Christ in God, Lord, it is our prayer that you will give us a vision of what you can actually do in us as we trust you. Lord, I pray that throughout the course of the week until we come back together again next week, that you will graciously reveal to us those things in our lives that we need to take off. Lord, as you do that, thank you that you are there to show us the way to put you more fully and completely on in every arena of our life. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, grace and peace, everyone. Good night. Take it.